Deep pattern, downfield, touchdown Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How is it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football each and every day. On today's show, man, what a good one we have for you guys today. We are putting a bow on the week two win over the Atlanta Falcons. I'm going to double check my work and give you some omissions that I missed from the reaction show. We're going to go down and break down some plays from the tape. Tua's big night. Sam Egwavon's historical sack production, the most in a preseason game since at least 2017. We might take some questions via the Twitter mailbag if we have time. I don't know if we'll have time. Hear from Coach Flores. Look at the advanced metrics and snap counts. We'll scan the social and a whole bunch more. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So this is our second run-through of this day after the day after the game podcast. And though I don't have Dennis Quaid for you, I am loving the makeup of these shows. Before we get to the notes... From the rewatch that I missed on the initial watch at Hard Rock Stadium, I want to hear some audio from Coach Flores and his Sunday afternoon press conference. He gave some really interesting insight that I think is a nice little peek behind the curtain for he and his coaching staff's preseason thinking this August. But real quick, and I want to hammer this point home, I talked to Mac Hollins last week about how he goes about setting an example for the younger guys who are trying to carve out a role on the back end of the roster, and that's primarily done through special teams work. And in fact, I played the audio on that on, I think it was the Wednesday podcast, maybe the Thursday podcast. Either way, it was on drive time earlier last week. He said the most important thing to get on Coach Crossman's good side is preparation and knowing exactly where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, talking about how they have like 15 TV screens around the facility with the depth charts and lineups and packages that feature which players are supposed to be on the field at which time, meaning there's no excuse not to know where you're supposed to be. And so when I think about the coaching staff executing an exhibitions game script in terms of Who gets how many snaps? When do I put down the ones and bring the twos on? When do the twos go down? When do the threes come on? The fact that you can limit your procedural penalties on top of playing with poise, that's so impressive to me. So I asked coach, point blank, how much pride do you and your staff take in the fact that you have two penalties on a game on Saturday and now just six penalties and two games combined when you're trying to get 90 guys onto the football field and not to mention being the second fewest penalized team in the NFL since Coach Flores' arrival. Hope you're not drink jinxing us there, Travis. Um, yeah, I mean, we talk about trying to play penalty-free. We spend a lot of time on it. We, uh, we, we don't, we don't want to. We don't want to go backwards. We want to go forwards with the ball. We don't want to give them, give up yardage with penalties defensively or in the kicking game. Um, so try to play within the rules, but play aggressive and physical and with poise. Um, hopefully we can continue to do that. Yeah. Aggressive and physical, but with poise. I loved that quote there from Coach. And it kind of reminds me, you know, akin to what, Chad Ocho Cinco was talking when he was talking to himself before a team period of practice 
on Hard Knocks back in 2012 with the Miami Dolphins, where he was muttering to himself, quick, but not in a hurry, quick, but not in a hurry, telling himself basically how you win at the line of scrimmage. So aggressive and physical, but poised. Love that comment. Coach also touched on the pace of the offense and the benefit of playing quick on Saturday night, getting to your alignment, knowing your assignment, and on top on, on the topic of assignments, I should say, I also asked Coach about the balance between getting the guys who are going to be playing a lot come September when the games start to count, getting those guys enough work and ready for those games that do count versus not showing too much in terms of tape for your regular season opponents. And I thought Coach's answer was super insightful. Here's Flores. I think we try to try to practice uh, the things that that we think we'll, we'll end up using and, and working throughout the season. Uh, I mean, that's a variety of things, but, you know, they're mostly uh, based on those fundamentals and techniques at guys' different positions, um, schemes and core concepts that will run offensively, defensively, and in that kicking game. And then I think throughout the season, you, you know, what you end up doing is running those core concepts and they just look a little different. You stress them up a little differently. So um, that's what you're going to see in the preseason, core concepts, uh, really from every team. We're no different. And I think you know, how you dress those things up you know, throughout the season, uh, I think you know every team does that in some, some way, whether it's with shifts or motions or whatever whatever um, whatever they feels best for for them and we'll do the same and that's a segue into the omissions part of the podcast omissions from the initial recap show things I didn't catch the first time around that I thought were worth noting on the secondary podcast here and just off the top noting the defense and the structure and the calls and we saw the impact of that we're going to talk about Sam Egwavon's four sacks here in just one moment but there was one rep in the game where the Falcons are in a three receiver set 11 personnel where it's one back one tight end with three receivers and the Dolphins were in their base three four look with Van Ginkle out over the slot in coverage and it got me thinking about something Jason Taylor said on the broadcast saying that he believes you know an all-time legendary pass rusher hall of fame first ballot gold jacket guy how the Dolphins are a premier pass rusher away he thinks from taking that step into an elite defense and I think that comes with a caveat that we haven't really seen you know peak Andrew Van Ginkle coming into year three after a very strong finish to year number two for him much less a rookie like Jalen Phillips drafted in the first round who got his first game action in the aqua and orange on Saturday night we already know what Emmanuel Ogba can do but book ending him with rushers that can present a true problem in those one-on-one situations you pair that with the ability to get crazy with games and blitzes and the ability to show pressure to bring four to drop seven and still get the pressure that would be a heck of a lot for opposing offenses to have to contend with. And in that 3-4 look with Van Ginkle out over the slot, all that does is improve your run defense out of 11 personnel type of packages on the offense against that type of look with also the ability to cover it on the back end as well. So I think the versatility really showed up on that particular play and in this game throughout the course of the night because there were so many games this defense ran with the big three up front. I'm talking about having the three big defensive tackles play three spots along the defensive line, whether it's the nose, the two-tech, the three-tech, out wide at a five-tech. But between Christian Wilkins and Raekwon Davis and Zach Sealer and Adam Butler, 
you have four of those guys that can rotate through those three positions. Sometimes you have two of them on the football field, but man, they continue to create havoc and free up a lot of stuff for these Dolphins linebackers. And that's where I want to get into Sam Egwavon's sacks because I think that he's a versatile player that gave us a good look at all the Dolphins can do up front and what that front line can do from a production standpoint for the linebackers in the pass rushing game, even in an exhibition. So Sam Egwavon's first sack, just watched it back two minutes ago. It's a five-man pressure look. You have five guys up on the line. Egwavon and Duke are mugged up in the A-gaps, flanking Adam Butler over the nose with Van Ginkle and Sealer off either edge. And Butler crashes off the center's left side and sets a great pick for Egwavon to scrape off of his backside where you loop around him and come inside for that lane to the quarterback. And I talked about this so much this offseason, how Adam Butler's get-off is going to force offensive linemen into decisions, and you see that on this pass rush move. He had initially blows off the football, and the guard is thinking, I have to get vertical because if I don't contend with this dude's speed with his get off the line of scrimmage, he's going to go right by me, right to the quarterback, and that's exactly what happened. So he gets that vertical step, and sure enough, a lane opens up for Sam Egwavon, who did a great job closing around that backside to shut that thing down and get himself a sack. On the very next play, it's the same look. This time, it's Gink and Scarlet out wide. Butler on the nose, again, with Egwavon and Riley mugged up in the inside. And they dummy the exact same look with the loop and the scrape and all that stuff I just talked about. But instead, this time, the Falcons are expecting that, and they're looking to pass things off. And because of that, Egwavon can get right up into the gap off of his original man and gets the pressure immediately. And then when Franks steps up into the pocket, the guard is retreating so quickly and has his momentum going backwards towards the quarterback so much that Egwavon can change direction and go over the top of him. And he does that, gets off this block and makes the sack. So great call, but fantastic execution from Sam Egwavon. Then we go to the third quarter and it's back-to-back sacks again. He had Back-to-back sacks in the second quarter, back-to-back sacks in the third quarter. And this one, again, was Adam Butler, who I think just deserves a bunch of love. This play was a different look this time with more of a bare front where you have a, a player over the nose and a couple of guys either over the guards or on the outside shoulders of the guards, but it's the three big defensive tackles we talked about. This time it's Butler, Davis, and Sealer. And you've got Scarlett and Egwavon are the outside backers off the edge. So Egwavon doing it inside, doing it outside, just like a Brian Flores defense loves to employ. And deploy, employ. And so for Adam Butler, it's one of these, I guess, new type of staples, not maybe a new staple, but something you see in the NFL a lot where it's basically showing a stretch run to the outside. And you can tell zone and man based upon the action of the offensive line. And if they all step in the same direction at the same time, that indicates zone. They bring a tight end across the formation, which indicates split zone as he kind of comes across and digs out the backside edge. But you see Butler, the tackle wants to reach him and Butler's aligned inside of him so a reach means he has to cut Butler off to the gap that he wants to get to but he can't do it because his burst off the line is just too much and it beats the tackle inside and he gets in pressure immediately on Franks and then Egwavon because of the flushed the quarterback has to flush out to the right is right there in space and does a great job to close distance and run that thing down an effort sack but still a sack and great job there by the Dolphins defense finally the fourth sack and the safety. This time, Egwavon is up on the line once again alongside Adam Butler, and he loops again, but this time 
I'm really going to point out to Sam on this play because I thought he made the angle the quickest possible route to the quarterback and just closed that distance so quickly by scraping behind both Butler and Duke Riley. And I'll go ahead and mention Duke Riley here because he comes in and wipes out the running back, which creates space for Egwavon to get a free run on the quarterback. And then here he comes as that free rusher and explodes through the quarterback into the end zone. Safety, two points. What a great drive. What a great series. What a great game from Sam Egwavon. We'll go ahead and keep this thing going here with some individual notes. I just thought Zach Sealer was so very good and consistent and reliable and dependable. You know what you're going to get. Not going to get knockback on him as far as the offensive line getting pushed. He can work down the line and disengage. He's almost impossible to get hands on into his frame. He just is so long with the reach. Guys don't get into his body. He can come off the blocks and make tackles too, which is... You know, you, you create chances for the linebacker. That's good enough. But you can get off the block and make tackles too. That's when you start to really talk about real big-time players with production like a Zach Sealer, who, of course, earned a contract extension last off or last season. Emmanuel Ogba's pass rush on the third down incompletion on the Falcons' second drive. His ability to corner and flatten on that play looks so good. He explodes off the snap, cross-chops the offensive lineman's hands away, dips that inside shoulder around the offensive tackle's outside shoulder, gets under the block and gets very close to a sack and force that ball to, came, to come out very quick on A.J. McCarron. I put down a note here for Jalen Waddle. just said, man, he is smooth. On the little pop pass where Tua catches the snap and just shovels it forward to Jalen Waddle, he makes a move to set up a player down the field, and it, he winds up going into another tackler, so he gets tackled. But he jukes a guy that basically puts him in the spin cycle with this little move, and I just thought, man, we're going to see that one of these times where it, it works out and it puts – it puts a defensive back in real peril and puts the onus on that player to make a tackle because in space, it's going to be tough. Robert Hunt on the block on the ensuing run on the very next play completely displaces his man. And then later he picks up a looper on a stunt that was just gorgeous communication and passing off. I thought the offensive line's communication was just so much better than it was in Chicago and a very encouraging step forward. And speaking of encouraging developments up front, and he made it in the notes on the reaction show, but Liam Eichenberg had a really nice game, I thought, particularly the open of the second half. He and Robert Hunt were blowing people off the ball with good pass protect or good running blocking, but also good pass protection. I noted Eichenberg's pad level, and if you watch that, I think it was a 13-yard run by Malcolm Brown where he just pushes the pile. His pad level was so good, getting under the man, driving, and, and keeping his feet clean that way too, so good look there. I went ahead and wrote down notes on every single player on that rep because it was so impressive to me, where Robert Hunt squares up the three technique, where three technique is going to be on the outside shoulder of the guard. He hits that block, squares it up. You have Michael Dieter cutting off the nose where you kind of get around the gap you want to run to, get your butt in the gap, and wall that thing off and seal him good work there and then Solomon Kinley and, and Hunter Long both hit seal blocks were kind of the same thing talking about Michael Dieter get your butt in the gap and seal that thing off and then Austin Jackson was away from the play but he runs over and pushes the pile man he's playing with a real nice nasty streak and there was a couple of reps where you see him just really contributing in the running game because of the way he plays very nice night in pass protection and a couple of reps early were a little bit shaky but he tightened that thing up right away and we're actually going to touch on that here more in the scanning the Soch period of the podcast. I also made a note that Durval Kiraz Neto was getting some good push in the few snaps he had in this game. I believe he played about 12 snaps. I want to go to Coach Flores on evaluation of Durval Kiraz Neto in his first preseason game in the National Football League. Let's go to Coach Flores at the podium or a Zoom call. Durval, he's worked extremely hard for 
for for the for his opportunity, the opportunity to play last night. I thought he played well. I thought he went in, um, knew knew what he had to do, knew who he was had to block, blocked him. Um, played with great energy. Um, he's always a passion. Plays with passion and energy. I'm, I'm proud of him. I'm proud of the, all the work he's put in. I remember when he first got here, and um, football was new to him, and he's really grown and uh, done a nice job of, uh, of of learning the system, uh, learning a new position. He's a great teammate. Practices hard, and you know he's a tough kid. And uh, I was always happy to see him get in there. And, Expect to see him get in there a little bit more next week. Cool to see Durval get some action in there in the International Pathway Program, putting in tons of work the last few years on the practice squad and in training camp and the like, and to see him get that payoff, pretty cool. I left out one portion there because I think it slides into our next segment nicely as we talk about breaking down some of the All-22, and it starts with a two-minute drive at the end of the first half where just the play-by-play, it's, it's only three plays. It's a it's a quick hitter to to Mac Collins, a strike down the middle of the field uh, to a sliding Mac Collins between a pair of defenders. I thought the zip and the poise and the ability to get that spot, that football down the field to get yourself in position to make one more play to set up a long field goal attempt from Jason Sanders. We get that completion. Hollins catches it going to the ground. Get up, clock the ball very quickly. Good operation there from Tua and the offense. Then the quick out to Miles Gaskin to get a few more yards to put Jason Sanders in position for a 58-yard field goal, which had plenty of leg. And I'm maybe not glad that he missed it, but I maybe a little bit because that's just using up one of the rare misses that he's going to have this year in a game that doesn't count. So let's go ahead and get him out of the way now. And remember, nobody made more 40-yard-plus field goals last year than Jason Sanders. And that thing drilled the back of the net from 58 yards. So looking like he's got the, the leg and the distance in midseason form. Got to get that thing on target, but I, I have confidence he will do that next time. Very nice work from Tua, though. And that leads us into our final All-22 breakdown of the podcast. Originally, I was going to look at a few of his passing plays that I thought were the best on the night and give you the whole spiel again about what I think he does well. But you've heard it from me all month and really for the last three years. So I even searched my handle on Twitter and the words Tua and Quick on the search bar and screen grabbed three different tweets from camp practices where I explained exactly what you're about to hear. And that's where I want to go next. So the great Brian Baldinger of NFL Network to break this thing down for us. Because again, you've heard this from me. Why don't we go ahead and go to one of the top film analysts in the entire game. Here's Baldy. Take a look at Tua Tagovailoa here. In the day that he had in Miami against the Falcons. Man coverage. Here comes Kasicki. Here comes the safety with him. So he sees it right now. Right now. Look how quickly he sees this. Balls out. All right, get to Gaskin. Let him do something with it. But he sees it quickly. You love that. All right, now. Little high-low coverage here against cover two. All right. There's the high-low. All right, there it is. Get the ball out to Waddle. Let him do something with it. Right read. Quick read. All right, now you get this one here. 39. You need location right now. Right now. Ball's out of the backfield to Gaskin. But look at the location of the ball. All right? It's perfect. Now Gaskin can break a tackle. You pick up 12 yards in the first down. You like that. All right, now how about this one? This is an RPO. RPO right here. Watch how quickly his feet are set. Like, watch this here. Watch how quickly he sets his feet. Bam. He's cocked and ready and ready to aim and ready to fire. Bam! Ball comes out hot. Good catch by, by Matt Collins. All right, now, pocket presence, right? Guy's got great presence, great feet. 
All right, here it comes. Got a little color. There's the, the eye of the storm right there, right in the pocket. Make the throw. Bam. To Gesicki on the move. Can you finish a drive? Watch this. Dirty pocket. Here we go. All right. Looks like the center's struggling. Dieter a little bit. Sidestep him. Eyes up. Locate the receiver. Put it where all he has to do is drop that shoulder into the end zone. All right, now, let's do this. How about third and ten? Money down. All right, going to go to Matt Collins here. There he is. Put it right on him. When you watch this throw here, like watch him. Like here comes the safety blitz. All right, 41's coming. He's got a lot of color right here. No panic. All right, just side. Look at that. Just parry the punch. You stay in the middle of the ring. Bam, just keep climbing. He hit Collins or Hollins. Beautiful. And then the best throw all day. This one right here to Gesicki. Cover two. Just throw it right there. Put it on him. Look at this throw now. This is how you step into a throw. Best th and that, of course, was the 30-yard completion to Mike Gesicki there in that second quarter. So some good stuff there from Brian Baldinger. And he talked about all the things we talked about all training camp long, right? We talked about the anticipation, throwing the football to a spot, giving guys time to run under the ball quickly and make plays in space because of the quick recognition, the feet to get yourself in position to make those throws, and, of course, the accuracy and ball placement. And on that topic, one throw that Baldy didn't break down was an incompletion that I thought might have been his best of the night as Savon Ahmed motions out linebacker chases him across the formation and up in the press box. My eyes got big as I said, Ooh, Savon's got a linebacker on him out wide. He runs the takeoff route Tua throws an absolute seed outside shoulder. The ball actually hits his forearm. If you watch it up close and now it's a very tough catch and tight coverage, but you have to love the placement and Savon damn near pulled that thing in and he's made that catch a few times in camp. So we'll see if they make that connection later on. And speaking of a former UW running back, before we get to the stats and the advanced metrics and snap counts, all that fun stuff, let's go ahead and play some audio from Miles Gaskin at the podium on Saturday night after the game that I think is very valuable and good to hear. Not the best audio quality here, but here's Miles Gaskin. I think he's just a very good dude, like off the field. I feel like you can talk to him about football, talking about life, whatever it may be. When you have a guy like that, you want to compete with him, you want to make him proud of you, you want to, he always makes you proud of him. So things like that, just kind of like brotherhood that people always talk about with football. When you, so really good stuff they're talking about how he makes guys want to compete for him really good stuff on your quarterback let's get to some stats here in this game and some pff metrics and some snap counts before we get out of here on the pod now the offense in that first half with Tua Tungavailoa and taking out the clock play where he spikes it and kills the clock 35 plays, 239 yards. We talked about the 6.1 yards per play last week and how that would have been a top seven mark as far as 2020 numbers go. 6.83 yards per play. That was more than anybody averaged last year in the entire NFL. Atlanta, 28 plays, 115 yards for their first half offense. 4.12 yards per play. So Miami in the first half of preseason games continues to tilt the scales in their favor. How about some of the advanced metrics here from PFF, Pro Football Focus, produces so many of these good numbers for us. Tua was one for three throwing the football 20 plus yards down the field with a 30 yard completion. He was four of five with 55 yards in the intermediate range, 10 to 19 or 11 to 19 yards. So good completion rate there. But what really stands out to me is that he was kept clean on 72% of his dropbacks. And when blitzed, he was five of six for 60 yards. 
under pressure, three of five for 31 yards and a touchdown. And he averaged 2.6 seconds time to throw and threw for 11 first downs and 16 completions, 23 throws total. So good numbers from Tua across the board. But it continued across the quarterback room, Jacoby Brissett. When you go eight for eight, it's going to be 100% across the board. Four for four and blitzed for 68 yards. Three for three and 39 yards and a TD under pressure. And how about Reed Sinet finishing off the job? Two for two when blitzed with seven passing yards and a touchdown pass to Kirk Merritt. Some rushing stats. Malcolm Brown with a nice bounce back in the yards after contact metric. 2.6 on the day. That led the Dolphins. Gaskin averaged 1.83 yards after contact. Dokes was at 2.29. And then Ahmed, Laird, and Scarlett all finished with two yards after contact average even. Malcolm Brown ran for four first downs. Miles Gaskin for three. The Dolphins had 10 rushing first downs on the night on 33 carries. That is what I'm talking about, baby. Directional rushing, 8.3 yards per rush off right guard, which was primarily played by Robert Hunt early in the game, and Jermaine Illuminor had some nice pop there as well. Off the right tackle, 7.5 yards per rush. Again, that was Jesse Davis and Liam Eichenberg for most of the night. And then 5.5 yards off left tackle, which was, of course, Austin Jackson, a little bit of Larnell Coleman, a little bit of Greg Little out there. So good production along the offensive line. And there were some lofty run blocking grades, but I'm just not as interested in those. But I do want to share some pressure metrics from the Dolphins offensive line. No Dolphins O-linemen allowed multiple pressures in the game per pro football focus. Dieter, Eichenberg, Jackson, and Davis were all charged with one apiece. And Dieter, Eichenberg, and Jackson played 47 snaps each. Jesse Davis, 27 snaps. So good numbers there. Clean sheets for Robert Hunt and Solomon Kinley. 28 pass blocking snaps each. In fact, Pro Football Focus charged the Dolphins with allowing just one quarterback hit and eight other pressures were all hurries. The receiving metrics, Gaskin had 38 yards after the catch, 9.5 yards per catch, 3.6 yards after initial contact, and 4.4 yards per route run. I know it's a bunch of numbers, but what it all means, very impressive night for Miles Gaskin. Kirk Merritt averaged 2.83 yards per route run. Anything over two is really good, just so you guys know. And Mike Gasicki checks in with 2.54. Eight players had a 100% catch rate. Mac Hollins caught four of his five passes and averaged 2.23 yards per route run himself. He also caught three balls in the 11 to 19 yard range between the numbers. So all down the middle for 42 yards. Remember we talked yesterday about the spacing that speed can create on offense. He ate up the middle of the field. And so did Mike Asicki, who caught one in that intermediate range for 13 yards, a pass that sailed 11 yards in the air, and one down the middle for 30 yards, a pass that sailed more than 20 yards down the, in the air. So middle of the field for Gasket, or for Gesecki, rather, and Hollins opens right up. 22 of Jalen Waddle's 21 receiving yards came after the catch. You heard that, right? The pop pass in the backfield is going to start off at like a negative three yards uh, of air, air yards, so he makes up for it with yards after the catch. And then finally, defensively, Egwavon, Egwavon, Egwavon. Top five rappers of all time right there. That's a Dave Chappelle reference. Four pressures, all of them sacks, five run stops too. My goodness, he allowed one catch on one target, but for just four yards via pro football focus. Have yourself a day, Sam Egwavon. Christian Wilkins, Adam Butler both had two pressures each. Then Sealer and Davis had one apiece, but also chipped in with two run stops apiece. Van Ginkle, Baker, Scarlett, McKinney, and Ogba all had pressures in the game. Byron Jones was targeted four times and allowed just one catch for 16 yards. Not a bad four yards per target average there for Byron. And Calvin Munson had the pick as well as a run stop and did not allow a completion in coverage. And that's really about it. It's tough to get eye-popping numbers on this side of the ball 
when you play such limited snap counts because defensively you're not going to get action every single play on defense. So we saw plenty of guys have good nights. Just want to go ahead and make one more quick note on the omission. Nick Needham, what a game he had. The recognition skills, the versatility playing inside, outside. He just continues to look like a player trending upwards. On the snap counts, Dieter, Hunt, Kinley, Jackson, 47 snaps apiece. So excluding Dieter from that group because he came out for Matt Skura back in week one a little bit earlier than the other three guys did, that's nearly 100 snaps for all of your 2020 draft picks up front on the offensive line. 88 in total through two games, and I think you saw the growth from that, the, the measurable growth from that playing time. And I mean, that not that it's the same, but consider last year without having preseason games, isn't it nice to have a chance to demonstrate that growth and settling in before the games start to count? I just love that personally. Eichenberg got 46 snaps, Jesse Davis 27, so some good work for the vet and the other rookie up front, uh, or the, the one rookie, I should say. Malcolm Perry led the way with 47 snaps on the offense, and then Matt Collins had 35, and Robert Foster 32. Valuable reps for guys looking to take advantage of the plethora of pass catchers who did not play in this game. Chris Myrick led all tight ends with 27 snaps. Hunter Long was next with 20. Man, how many capable tight ends does this roster have? Just another nod to the depth Chris Greer and the guys upstairs have constructed over the last few years on this roster. Gasecki played 20 and Smythe and Shaheen played 15 apiece. So plenty of tight ends getting action on Saturday night. Good to see Miles Gaskin get the production he had on just 19 reps. Man, 71 yards from scrimmage on 19 plays. That's pretty crazy. And speaking of production and limited work, Waddle played 17 snaps in the game and had 21 receiving yards. So good work from the rookie. Savon Ahmed, 15 plays. Malcolm Brown and Jared Dokes, 13 apiece. We mentioned him earlier, but how about Durval Neto getting Durval Kiraz Neto getting the 12 snaps, first 12 snaps of his career? Just awesome stuff for him. And the rest of the way down is 10 or fewer besides Reed Sinet, Cameron Tom, and Greg Little and Jakeem Grant were in the 12 to 11 range. Interesting to me that Jakeem only played that little. Maybe you want to keep him on ice a little bit because of the injuries at the position and keep him fresh. Defensively, Sam Egovon led the way with 38 snaps. You want to talk about maximizing your opportunities. Boy, did he. Gave him a chance to really showcase what he's got. He did the job and then some then some more on top of that. I thought Craven LeBlanc made a strong case. He had the second most defensive snaps with 34. Van Ginkle, McCourty, and Roy uh, Ro, uh, Eric Rowe, geez, Travis, get through it, played 29 snaps apiece. Nick Needham had 28. Valuable work for guys that you think are going to play a bunch this season in those four players. Phillips made his debut, 27 snaps. Bernardrick McKinney goes from five snaps in week one to 24 on Saturday night. So a nice increased workload there for the new Miami Dolphins linebacker. Justin Coleman and Jamal Perry with 23 and 22 snaps, respectively. Noah Igbenogany, 18. Clayton Fedulum, 16 snaps. So really the entire secondary got a great showcase. And we saw a lot of the dime defense in this game too. So that's always going to pump up your defensive backfield snap counts. And how about the big four that I praise daily on the show? Wilkins, 21. Davis, 18. Butler, 17. Sealer 16. Pretty even across the board. Jason Strobridge got 16. Calvin Munson got 15. Trill Williams and Duke Riley, 10 apiece. Remember last week, Duke Riley led the way on defensive snaps with like 45 in that Bears game. Then you get into some of the established veterans. Byron and X both had nine snaps. Ogba played eight snaps. And on special teams, Perry, that's Jamal Perry, Calvin Munson and Trill Williams led the way with nine snaps apiece. Kirk Merritt had the most special team snaps among offensive players with nine snaps. A good chance to see if he can kind of contribute in that way because his offensive production has certainly been worth consideration for the 53-man roster. And the special teams work will definitely be a part of that responsibility for a fifth or sixth type receiver. 
Durham Smythe also had eight snaps on special teams. And then Patrick Laird, Jared Dokes, and Chris Myrick had eight each. And Malcolm Perry played six on special teams. So all things considered, I think a very nice balance. Lots of guys got work. We stayed largely healthy. Just a feel-good game all around. And while it's feeling good, let's turn the dial the other direction here and get to our new segment here, Scanning the Soch. And I said turn the dial, but this one's a bit lighter today because, frankly... I just didn't see many objections on Twitter or social media from the game, but I did see one thing I wanted to address really quickly. Guys losing one rep doesn't mean the player had a bad game. And I think about Austin Jackson from that first drive of the game. He got walked back on one rep, and I saw some concern out there. But you can't just write off the rest of the night because he was really good the rest of the night. He wasn't letting rushers into his frame. He was quick and concise with his punches. And again, in the running game, man, he was getting a surge in the push, or in the running game, I should say. He had a hell of a block on the Malcolm Brown touchdown where he wiped a guy out. So my only imploring message here is just please don't make one rep bigger than it actually is. And that goes for the good and the bad. Remember, coach tells us a quote-unquote starter will play a 1,000 snaps in a given season, give or take. So just a handful of plays is not the end-all, be-all. All right, we were talking about doing the media or the mailbag here. We do not have enough time for that. We'll come back later in the week and get to some of your questions on the Twitter mailbag. I want to read a quick Apple review real quick because Dantana61 wrote, Excellence achieved. Five-star rating. I spent the past five years listening to Travis with the Locked On Dolphins, now with Drive Time, and his broadcasting ability and knowledge of the game are always developing in a positive direction. He is a go-to listen for any Fins fan. Appreciate you leaving that review. If you guys have any questions or want to get in the podcast here, leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We'll go ahead and read your review as well as your questions. We have assistant coaches media coming up uh, on Monday. I'll filter that through the shows this week. But as for now... Caroline, daddy is coming home. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. You can follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and OJ. And, of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.